we're talking this month about the keys to thriving in the city, and these are some of the principles that our church lives by and the principles our church works by. And today we're going to talk about the, the principle or the priority of being merciful. You know, in a church, one of the things we do is we preach and we talk and we philosophize about the love of God and the mercy of God. But one of the things the New Testament makes clear is the way the love of God and the mercy of God becomes real to other people is when we act loving and act merciful in tangible ways to people who are actually hurting, who are actually struggling, and who are actually in need. And so that's what mercy is. That's what we mean when we talk about the mercy of God. We're talking about doing practical things and tangible things to people who are hurting in the name of and motivated by the mercy of God towards us. Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And this is God's word. One of the things about the city is it's a place of extremes in a lot of ways. It's a place where wealth and prosperity and opportunity are concentrated and it's also a place where we can find suffering and loss and poverty and desperation. You know, the city's a place you go when you're full of ambition and you, you're ready to take on the world and make your mark in the world. And the city is also the place where people end up because they've got nowhere else to go. And New York City, this area, is one of the most extremes in both of those, both in in wealth and prosperity and opportunity and also in human desperation and people who are here because they've got nowhere else to go. And, but it, and this is, I think, a characteristic of all great cities. The greater a city is, the greater the economic and professional potential that it and opportunity it lays out to people, but also the greater the desperation that gets concentrated in that place of people come and people end up in the city because they don't know where else to go. So to be a city dweller, to thrive spiritually, to thrive personally, to thrive as a human in the city, one of the things you need to develop is a heart of mercy. And for a church to thrive and for a church to be faithful in the city, one of the things that has to characterize that church is a heart of mercy. And that's what I want to talk about today. And the reason for this is because in the city, part of the nature of city life is all of us are in human, uh, in human proximity or in close proximity to a lot of people who are much different than us. And you can't ignore people who are different than you. And, and all of us find ourselves as we go through city life, if you're walking down the streets, if you're going, especially in the streets of New York, you're going, going to work, you, you, you walk past people who are ambitious, who are full of purpose, who are full of full of focus, and you also walk past people who are being crushed by the city, who, are, who have come to the city and they find themselves with nothing, the most desperate and the most helpless. You know, Mercy Ministry was born in the city, and the most vital, most famous Mercy Ministries we know of all started in cities. You think of the Salvation Army, which was started in the slums of East London in the 19th century, closer to home. Some of you have heard of the Bowery Mission in Lower Manhattan. It was started in New York City in 1870 to, to help the people that nobody else wanted to help. They had a, a motto at the Bowery Mission. They said, first we give them soup, then we give them soap, 
then we give them salvation. And, and that was the uh, philosophy of ministry. They started with, with working with people that nobody else wanted to work with, helping people who nobody else felt like they were worthy of help. And even in Jersey City, we've got some great mercy ministries that have developed in response to the needs in this city. One of the ones that our church is real involved in is New City Kids, which, which focuses on helping talented kids and kids with lots of potential find their way into college and give them the support they need to, to go from, from high school to college, even if they don't have families and don't have people around them who have experience in navigating that path. So the churches, the, the, or mercy ministries thrive in the city. Mercy ministries are, are developed in the cities because, because that's where the need is and people who are people of faith, people of vision, see those needs and recognize God's call on us to address those needs. And this has been the case from the beginning of the establishment of cities, that cities were places where the desperate and where people who were at risk and people in need always went to cities. And in Joshua chapter 20, remember, if you remember the story of the Bible, the nation of Israel went to the promised land under Joshua and when Joshua was wrapping up things and organizing the city or organizing the nation he he establishes cities of refuge in Joshua chapter 20 it says the Lord spoke to Joshua and said tell the Israelites select your cities of refuge and when they flee to one of these cities they are to stand at the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of the city then the elders are to admit the fugitive into the city and provide a place to live among them. The reason for this is in the ancient Near East, the, the wilderness and, and, and the general unincorporated areas of the, of, the, of the nation were lawless places. You know, it was kind of vigilante justice and might makes right. And so sometimes someone will get would find themselves in a conflict and would be afraid for their life and what they could do is flee to the city and there they could find a court there they could find law and order there they could plead their case and there they could be protected from places from from people who were out to get them and you know it's the same thing today cities are magnets for people who are in difficult circumstances one of the reasons the cities have have so many challenges and have so many people with difficult circumstances because people with in difficult circumstances from all over the country make their way to cities where they can get help. You know, the cities are magnets for uh, foreigners, for refugees, for people who, who are, find themselves in this country who are not from this country. I mean, imagine this, imagine you just moved to America from France or from Vietnam or, or from Nigeria or from Burma or from India. Where would you want to go? Would you want to go to a small town, say, Williamsport, Pennsylvania? Or would you want to go to a city where there's more opportunity, where there's more diversity, where, the, where, there's, where there, there's perhaps a community of people with your same background? And so the cities are the place that are magnets for, for people from other countries, for, for, for refugees, and for what the Bible calls calls poor wanderers. And, and this is an interesting thing in the, in the Bible. You might not know this, but one of the instructions to the nation of Israel, remember the nation of Israel in the Old Testament was one of the most nationalistic of all nations because they believed 
that they were the people of God, that they were chosen by God. But they had special instructions about how they were to treat people from other nations who found their way into their nation. In Leviticus 19, it should pop up on the screen, it says, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love him as yourself, for, they, for you were foreigners in Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. So isn't that interesting? As nationalistic as Israel was, as, as much as Israel considered themselves God's chosen people, at the same time, God told them, when foreigners are traveling through your country, when foreigners find their way to your country, you need to treat them as your native born. Because you guys remember what it was like when you were foreigners in the nation of Egypt. And so, and, and you know, what happens in our world is cities are welcoming to others. And, you know, in, in America, we have this tradition of the sanctuary cities, places, places where, where foreign-born people and, and uh, people from other countries can be protected and, and can feel safe. And we recognize that there are our neighbors, our our kids' friends, our bosses, our employees, and, and so in, within the cities, people tend to be much more comfortable to people from, with people from other backgrounds. And you know, it's, it's interesting uh, even how some of these things work themselves out. I remember a couple of years ago, I read an article where the mayor of Jersey City, who happens to be Jewish, had a meeting arranged with the Muslim community group, what I forget what the call, what the name of it was, and some, someone said, "Well, this is interesting. Given all the tension between Muslims and Jews in the world, I wonder what's going to happen at this meeting." So some reporter went to this meeting and reported on it, and they were surprised to find that what was the Muslim community group concerned about? Well, they were concerned about the quality of the schools. They were concerned about crime in their neighborhood. They were concerned about parking regulations and opportunities for business, and the same things that everybody else in the city is involved in. And what did the mayor talk about? All of these civic issues. Because when we're all close together in the city, one of the things that happens is we don't focus as much on our ethnic differences or our, or our uh, different racial differences, but we recognize our common humanity. And when you're living in close proximity in, in the city, people from other from other nations are your landlords and your and your employees and your kids go to the school and you find out that that their their best their new best friend is from the other side of the world from where you're from and so it's just part of city life this this interaction between between people that that enables us to see in people who are much different than us our common humanity our common our common identity as as, uh, as people who are children of God. You know, in the old days, it's interesting, missionaries used to go out from America and they'd go to Africa and they'd go to Asia, they'd go to the Middle East and, and share with people the message of Jesus, the message of God's mercy. But today, one of the interesting things about great American cities, one of the interesting things about New Jersey is, is that the nations have come here. You know, 40% of the people in Jersey City were not born in America. It's actually one of the highest proportions of that of any city in, uh, in America. We're, we have one of the most diverse cities in the world, one of the most international cities, in, excuse me, in America, one of the most international cities in America. 
and, uh, and also one of the cities where more than any other city in America, English is not the, uh, the main primary language of the household. So the nations have come to us, and that's an opportunity for the church to be faithful to what God told the people of Israel and to make and, and, and to recognize that this is our opportunity to show God's grace to foreigners, show God's grace to people who are different than us because of God's mercy towards us. To thrive in the city, we need to develop graciousness and we need to be merciful. It's a mark of spiritual health, it's a mark of mental health, and it's, it's a mark of God working in our lives. Isaiah 58 is another remarkable passage in this regard. Look at what he says. He says, share your bread with the hungry, bring the poor and the homeless into your house, and clothe the naked when you see them, and don't ignore your own flesh and blood. So here again, the prophet Isaiah is calling the people to be faithful to God, and they're saying, and God is saying, you know, I don't care about your religion so much if you have no compassion. That's what Isaiah 58 is all about. So he's like, if you, if you have my heart, he says, you're going to share your bread with the hungry. You're going to reach out to the poor and the poor, the poor wanderer, the homeless, and that, that also could be foreigners who are traveling through the area. You're going to clothe the naked when you see them, and you're not going to ignore your own flesh and blood. Now, this is a remarkable passage. Look at that again. Because remember, in the ancient Near East, family was everything. You know, your family was your priority, and everybody else you could ignore, but the main thing you had to protect was your family. But here in Isaiah 58, what he's saying is, when you see the naked, when you see the homeless, when you see the poor, when you see the hungry, you see your fellow humans who are suffering deprivation in that way, they're your family too. They're your own flesh and blood. And this is the dynamic, you know, this is part of being a compassionate human. You see another human that is suffering. It might not be someone you know. It might not be someone who you have a relationship with, but you just see common human suffering and you're just moved with compassion, hopefully, as God works on us and God makes, makes us more like Him. And that's, that's what He's calling us to, to see in the suffering around us our own flesh and blood who we are called to help. So to thrive in the city, in the midst of the, the human challenge, in the midst of the diversity, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the, of the suffering, see our fellow humans, see our own flesh and blood, even in people who are much different than us, just because we're all a member of the same race, we're a member of the human race. And, but having said all that, I gotta rec we got to recognize that it's difficult. It's difficult because, you know, well, if it was easy, everyone would do it, right? The reason we don't do it is because it's, it's a challenge in a lot of ways. One of the things about the city is everybody's busy, and we don't have, we, we, don't, we don't feel like we have time to stop and notice people who are not on our agenda, who's, who don't have an appointment with us in any particular day. And, you know, it's, it's uh, always been a problem. It's always been an excuse. I think of the parable of the Good Samaritan where two very, very religious leaders walked by a guy who was dead, who was dying and bleeding on the side of the road and just kept going on their journey because they had somewhere to go. And, uh, I mean, that, that parable bothers me a lot because I, 
preach on that and teach on that a lot. And then I'm walking down the streets of the city and you see someone in a terrible situation. You're like, hey, you know what? I got to be somewhere. So someone else is going to have to help that person out. So it's, it's inconvenient to us. And all, everybody has packed schedules. Everyone has a lot of demands on their life. And to stop and help someone else is to disrupt our own schedule. To stop and assist someone else is to mess up our own lives to some extent. And it's also costly in other ways. Sometimes it's just, just costly financially. But there's no way to bear someone else's burden without burdening yourself. There's no way to relieve the strain on someone else without being willing at some level to strain yourself. And so there's, there's a lot of reasons not to do it. I think the biggest reason, though, is that it can be just confusing. Sometimes you just don't know what to do to help. And you see people in desperate situations, you see people in difficult situations, and you wonder what would actually be helpful in this circumstance and in this situation. Because, because a lot of times these problems are complex, and, and just writing a check or just just offering a favor isn't really going to resolve and, and redeem the problem. And, and I think, honestly, one of the challenges I've, I've seen over the years in, in, in this kind of work is a lot of the problems are related to addiction of some sort. And people are, are struggling with some kind of chemical dependence of, of one sort or another, and it just makes it, makes it very difficult to know how exactly to help, because sometimes what you think is helping isn't actually helping sometimes. Sometimes what, you're, what you do with good intentions when you're trying to help is actually enabling someone. So, so the problems in the city are overwhelming. The problems in the city are, can, be, can, can be an overwhelming challenge. And that's why the church as a whole is much better suited to do this than just individuals. Because as individuals, I think we, we, we quickly get frustrated. But as a group of people pooling our resources, pooling our talents, pooling our abilities and our availability, we can find different ways where we can have a big impact. You know, all of us together is much greater, has much greater potential than any, than all of us doing our own thing. And, you know, that, that's, that's the reason we have a Mercy Team, the reason we established it is because not everybody can do everything. Not everybody has the ability to do everything. And, you know, some people have, have, have time to give. Some people have certain abilities that are transferable to the Mercy Team. Other people, other people have, have the opportunity or the ability to, to study various needs. Some people are very relational and can get to know people who are struggling. So we have all these diverse gifts within a church. You know, that, that's what makes a church a church. And it means that as a group, and as a congregation, we can have an impact on the city and an impact on particular individuals that none of us could possibly have individually. And so that's, that's what the church is here for. That's why the church, why the church has a mercy team. And one of the reasons being a follower of Christ is not something we, we go solo with, but it's something that we do together, something that we do as a team. But, and having said that, let me just, just flip, flip it the other way. If you're a part of our church, but you find yourself in a desperate state, or if you're a part of our church and there's someone who you're close to who finds themselves in a desperate state, 
then I would just want to encourage you that the Mercy Team is here for you. You know, it's not just something we do, it's something we have, because desperate times happen to all of us somewhere along the way, and so to know that there's someone, there is a team that is available, there is a ministry even within our church that can reach out and help you and, and, and help you get through the things that you are going through. So, so the Mercy Team is an arm of our church to help all of us use whatever kind of gifts we have, whatever kinds of availability we have, whatever kinds of talents we have to, make, to build a congregation, to build a, a church family that can have mercy and show mercy in tangible ways and in effective ways in, in our world. But having said all that, let me say this. The essence of the gospel is not that we show mercy. The essence of the gospel is not that we just are involved in social action and act actions of uh, justice and mercy and that we're trying to fix everything in the city and solve every problem in the city. The essence of the gospel is that we need God's mercy. And to become a Christian, first and foremost, we recognize that we are people who are in need of the mercy of God and that we're recipients of the mercy of God before we can begin to show mercy or share mercy with other people. The story of Jesus shows us the basis of God's mercy and God's mercy in action. The great act of mercy was when the very Son of God, who was pure spirit, became flesh at the Incarnation on the very first Christmas, when veiled in flesh the Godhead see, we could hail the incarnate deity. When Jesus came down to earth, that was the first act of mercy. And then his whole life, if you follow, if you read the story of the life of Jesus, everywhere Jesus went, he showed mercy to the people who came, who he came into contact with. And then ultimately, Jesus sacrificed his life in our place. He gave all of himself out of mercy for us. And then he won the victory when he rose again from the dead. So the, the mercy of Jesus is the basis for our hope, but it's also a picture, a picture for us of what we're trying to be, of what we're aspiring to be. Now, if you've read the, the story of the life of Jesus, if you've read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you know that Jesus did a lot of miracles to show the world that he was indeed the very Son of God, right? But one of the things that you notice that's consistent about those miracles is Jesus had this great power, but he didn't use it to do magic tricks. You know, Jesus didn't make things disappear. Jesus didn't pull rabbits out of hats. What were the miracles Jesus did? Every miracle Jesus did was an act of mercy. You know, he healed the sick. He opened the eyes of the blind. He made the lame walk. He cleansed the leper. Every miracle he did was bringing the presence of the kingdom of heaven to earth. Every miracle he did was restoring something that was broken on this planet and bringing the restoration of God's grace here. And, you know, we, we don't have, most of us, most of the time, don't have the power of Jesus just to, to uh, put our hand on someone and say, open your eyes and see, or do the things like that. But 
God calls us to use the power he's given us. God calls us to use the resources he's given us. God calls us to use whatever he's entrusted to us to bring restoration, to bring heaven down to earth, to bring healing and to bring hope to those who are hurting all around us. And so that's, that's the, the invitation of the gospel to all of us. And the Bible says, or G Jesus said, when he was about to leave his disciples, that he'd leave his disciples with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would enable them to do even greater things than he was able to do. And you know, there's, there's different kinds of greatness. Jesus did, did great things for certain individuals in certain circumstances, but it wasn't very many people. But the church dispersed around the world today can do much more as we dedicate ourselves as he did. To bringing restoration and bringing and bringing bringing heaven back down to earth but Jesus reminds us and when, when we and when we experience when we try to show mercy one of the things we experience is that mercy is free to the recipient but it's costly to the one who offers it you know you help someone by by definition when you help someone you're giving something away but when you give something away, that means you don't have it, whether it's your time, whether it's your attention, whether it's your energy, whether it's your money. Once you give it away, you don't have it because mercy is costly to give even though it's free to receive. It was costly for Jesus to give. He had to die in our place. And it will be costly for us to receive. But when we feel that cost, when we feel the pinch, we feel like, you know, I don't know if I can give anymore. I don't know if I can sacrifice anymore. I don't know if I can serve anymore. I'm too tired. I'm too broke. I'm too busy to do this. And we feel the pinch of giving mercy. And when other people recognize, why is this person willing to be so generous? Why is this person paying attention to me? Why is this person helping me in the midst of my difficult situation when no one else wants to help me? We can be reminded, and maybe by the grace of God, they will see that we show mercy in our community, we show mercy in our schools, we show mercy in our neighborhoods because Jesus has had mercy on us. One of the ways we can show a watching world the reality of God's grace, the reality of Jesus' sacrifice and the power of the gospel is when that power becomes tangible and we show mercy in practical ways to the people in our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your great mercy towards us. And I pray that you would help us to appropriate that mercy for ourselves and then share that mercy with those who you've put us, who you've put us into contact with. I I thank you for the work of our mercy team and I pray that their work would point people not just to the generosity of individuals, but would point people to the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this in his holy name. Amen.